Hi, everyone. This is Steve Newell, and you're listening to Bible Noodler, where we take a closer look at passages in the Bible and try to find deeper connections with other passages in the Word that might shed just a little bit more light into the character and heart of God and Jesus. Today, we're looking at the Passion Week, the week Jesus went to Jerusalem with so many others to celebrate Passover, and so much more happened. A while back, I was reading about the Last Supper, and I noticed in Matthew and a couple of the other Gospels that um, it mentions that Jesus and his apostles sang a hymn right after they, they ate together. They sang a hymn, and then they set out for the Mount of Olives, where Jesus was arrested later that night. And I thought, huh, that's kind of significant. Um, you know, if you think about it, that hymn was probably the last kind of positive, happy uh, thing that Jesus did before he died. Because straight after that, he goes into the, the Mount of Olives. He goes to pray, to pray, and he asks his guys to come pray with him. They all fall asleep. He wakes them up a couple times. He's praying intently that God will uh, take the cup away from him. Uh, because he doesn't want to go through this uh, this suffering, and um, he he's praying so intently that that blood and his, the capillaries in his forehead are are, uh, are bursting and uh, mixing with a sweat, and he's basically sweating blood and tears, and um, so uh, it's a it's a very difficult time, and and so I was just curious, I was wondering, is there a way? that we can figure out what Jesus sang in that last song that he sung. And um, so I did a little research, and I wanted to find out, okay, uh, is there some kind of ritual that the Jews in the first century had during the Passover meal that would indicate, okay, uh, you know, this is what they did, this is what they sang, so on and so forth. And um, while I was researching that, I found that um, today, uh, during the Passover seders uh, that you celebrate, that they do have a very, very ritualized uh, meal uh, and a schedule, um, and they, they, they choose the particular foods that they're going to eat to represent uh, their time in Egypt and so on. They have particular prayers that they pray. They have four cups of wine that they uh, pass around the, the, the table during the meal that represent different things. And they do have songs that they sing, verses that they sing uh, at different times during the meal. So I thought, oh, jackpot. But then uh, as I did some more research, uh, I found out that there's no evidence whatsoever that in the first century, Jesus and his apostles or any, any of the Jews had that same kind of ritualized meal. Um, they had a Passover meal. There's no record of them, you know, kind of going through any specific things. So it was a dead end. But what I did find out while I was researching this is that during the Passover, it was a, a, a common practice to um, for all the Jews to sing Psalms 113 through 118 uh, all during Passover as they were doing their pilgrimage and during the Passover week and doing meals and so on and so forth. And, um, and they, they actually call this, this group of five Psalms, the Hallel Psalms, H-A-L-L-E-L, the Hallel Psalms. And, um, 
and it's 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 a group of psalms that they they start in 113 and they sing all the way through they don't stop and and, and you know sing individual psalms they just sing it start to finish through all five psalms and then they turn around they sing it again they sing it again they sing it again so effectively i mean to, to picture it, think about uh, our Christmas. I mean, think about five uh, Christmas songs that we have. Maybe O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Silent Night, Joy to the World, Away in a Manger, and Hark the Herald Angels Sing. But, but sung all together, one after another, over and over and over. So that would be kind of the soundtrack for Christmas in, in our world. And... In the Passover of the that Jesus was um, participating in in the first century, and for centuries before that, actually, the Jews' Passover soundtrack was these five psalms that comprise the Halal Psalms. Now we know that the holidays are supposed to be joyful and happy. You're with your family, with you're with your friends, very hopeful. But think about what Jesus was feeling as he walked through to. Uh, to Jerusalem and, and day by day was getting closer and closer to that, you know, horrible and humiliating crucifixion. We know that he was strong and resolute and he was willing to fulfill his vow to God to die on the cross for us. But on the other hand, we know that he begged, again, he begged his father to let this cup pass and he, you know, he's praying intently for it to, to, um, uh, to pass and, and so on. So we know that he was under a tremendous amount of stress. Now we can get some insight into what he was feeling from one of the messianic prophecies in Isaiah 49. And this prophecy is not one of the common ones that you'll hear, but it's actually the whole chapter verse of chapter 49 is, is about Jesus and it's a messianic prophecy. And uh, we can get some insights here. Um, it's actually pretty incredible. In verse 2, it says, Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. You think about that. That's pretty incredible. This is a prophecy about the Messiah, and the Messiah is saying to his father, you know what? I feel like I'm wasting my time. I don't, I don't know what else to do. I'm doing miracles. I'm feeding them. I'm walking on water. I'm healing people, you know, over and over and over. And, they're still wondering if I'm the Messiah. I mean, wh what else do I have to do? People are, the, the religious people who know the scriptures, who really, you know, should be checking all the boxes and saying, yeah, this guy's the Messiah. They want to kill me. I, am I wasting my time doing what I'm doing down here? So Jesus is clearly frustrated. And, um, but God, uh, God reassures him. He says in verse uh, six, he says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, 
the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who is despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. So think about that. God is, God is really wanting to encourage Jesus, his Messiah, the Messiah. And he's saying, listen, I, I, know it, I know it feels like you're wasting your time, but you're really not. You're not only going to save the Jews, you're also going to save the rest of the world, all the Gentiles. And I know that this is going to be a humiliating death for you. But when you rise from the dead, kings will bow down to you. Princes will bow down to you. Everybody in the world will bow down to you. They will know, and, and I will put you over uh, all of my creation. So believe me, this is just stick with this and, and it's going to come out. It's going to glorify me. It's going to glorify you. It's going to be awesome. So God is, is really wanting to encourage and affirm um, what Jesus is going through. He, he knows he's frustrated and he wants to encourage him. Um, so let's go back to the Passover here. Let's think about how God has set this Passover up and set things in motion to that all the things that lead up to these dramatic few days, and I'm only going to say a couple, there's, there's hundreds of hundreds of things that God set up in advance. Um, number one, and biggest of all, he's known before creation that we would fall and he would need Jesus to die, to die for our sins. So he knew this before he even created us. So, um, so he sets that in motion. He sets up the Passover with the command that all the Jews return to Jerusalem together. So he sets it up that every devout Jew is going to be in the city witnessing Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, he has countless other wheels that he sets in motion, but he also inspired the psalmist to, comp to compose those psalms and arranged for these particular psalms to be sung at Passover. And to be, like I said, the past, the soundtrack of the Passover. So I want to read through. Um, some, I, we're not going to read all through uh, all five of them, but I want to focus on a, a portion of it. I want to read uh, through it now with you, and we'll read what Jesus was hearing over and over during the last days before he was crucified. Now, if you have a Bible handy, please turn to Psalm 116. And we'll, we'll read it together, because what you're going to see as you're reading through it, it's so obvious that there's so many correlations between this psalm and the verses that were that were written in this psalm a thousand years before Jesus and what Jesus is about to go through in the crucifixion. It really is amazing. Um, and, and again, um, Remember that, that these psalms are being sung one after another, so 113 and 118. So if, you, if I were to recite that or sing that and, and have a recording of it, and if I were to replay that and stop it directly, exactly in the middle, we would hit on Psalm 116, verse 3. And a very common um, kind of literary technique in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, is something called a chiasm, where you'll have a central idea, but you want to kind of 
bury it and and you 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 have a an, uh, an idea a b c and then you have the central idea and then you have an idea c b d c uh, C B A, and so it's kind of like a almost like a pyramid. At the top of the pyramid is this, the the central point of the chiasm, and so again, if you were to look at the whole Psalm 113 and 118 and go directly to the middle, this is the passage that you would fall on, and tell me if you think that this. In, in, in one verse encapsulate, encapsulates what Jesus must be feeling. Psalm 116, verse 3, it says, The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Incredible. Incredible. So let's read uh, the, the rest of the psalm here. And Again, as we read, think about the associations between these, vers these verses written a thousand years before Christ and what's happening right at that moment um, at that Passover. Verse 1, Psalm 116, verse 1. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. When he did, on the cross, he right up to the end. Verse 3, the cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then it goes on. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. And, and again, think of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 5, the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And again, that stumbling, it makes you think of when Jesus was carrying the cross and was so weakened by the beating that he took that he, he kept stumbling and they had to drag somebody off the sidelines to help him. Verse 10, I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. And in my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. And it's true. I mean, think about everyone around Jesus. Uh, the religious leaders, they're making up false statements and false accusations against him. Judas, who's been with him for three years, is going to betray him. Even Peter and the other apostles, they're going to claim that they'll never forsake him, that they'll die for him, and yet everyone ran away. So it's true. Everyone surrounding Jesus was a liar. Jesus was literally, literally all alone. Verse 12, what shall, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. And again, our thoughts go to the, the, the cup at the Last Supper, saying that it represented his blood, which is going to be shed for our salvation. Verse 14, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of his people. And it's true. God has, you know, set in gear the, uh, you know, the fact that this Passover, everybody has to come to Jerusalem. And so he is. He's going to fulfill his vow to God in the presence of all, all the Jews. Verse 15, 
precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servant. That's amazing. Jesus is about to die in full sight of his father as they work together to save him. But think about what that verse says. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servant. And it's, and it's, an, it's an affirmation to Jesus. I mean, God is on the sideline. He can't intercede. He can't stop this. He won't stop this. But he can say, listen, I really appreciate this. I'm really proud of you. Thank you for doing this. You, this is awesome. Your death, your sacrifice is so precious to me. That's, that's, that has to be so encouraging to Jesus. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. Again, verse 18, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of his people. And anytime you say something twice, it's, it's for emphasis. So it's, it's, it's an important point. And it gets even more specific. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. So as I read this, and I kind of put together that Jesus was in just a very emotional state this week. And I think about how God has, you know, I, I, here's what I think. I think that God that knew that Jesus would need encouragement, of course he would, and he would need affirmation as he faced his death. And I think, you know, it, look, it's hard as a parent to watch our children struggle and be in pain. And there's always the temptation to step in and fix stuff and rescue them. And God, the father has to feel the same thing, but he can't rescue his son. But I believe that what he did do is inspire the psalmist to compose these verses. And then he guided the nation to adopt these songs to be the Passover soundtrack. And he compelled the entire nation, all the Jews, even his enemies, to sing these songs to Jesus over and over and over again to strengthen and encourage him. I really believe that God set all that up just for his son. God is incredible. He's incredible. He's truly loving in all and everything that he does. Even as he has to watch his son be humiliated and killed, he's, he's on the sidelines doing everything he can to encourage him, to strengthen him, to affirm him. There's, there's so many other nuggets in all these other Psalms. I encourage you to read through 113 through 118 for yourself and also Isaiah chapter 49. Read through that whole chapter. It's really incredible. And see what you can noodle out for yourself. If you want to discuss it further, email me at steve at biblenoodler.com. And if you uncover some more great stuff, let me know and perhaps we can do a podcast together. Thanks for joining and look for more releases uh, this Easter week. 
And remember Proverbs 25 too. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. Keep noodling. Keep noodling.